Y'all may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Uh, you've noticed that Chris is out of town, our worship leader. He's in Nashville with his family. If you're a teenager or a, a, a youngster, you are dismissed. Meant to say that. Um, so my daughter graciously volunteered to uh, come and lead us in worship. And I'm very thankful for that. Julia, I'm not thank you for being with us today. And uh, I'm glad that y'all are here as well. I greet you in the name of my Savior. And I just speak God's peace and blessings upon you for gathering with us this morning. Uh, it's going to be a special day. We've got several neat things going to happen uh, in the next 30 or 45 minutes. So I'm excited. Um, let me just first of all uh, share with you what the Lord's laid on my heart from His Word this morning. Uh, we're coming to the end of this year, 2018. And on many levels and in many ways it has been an exciting um, I'm gonna be optimistic and just say it's been an exciting year full of all kinds of uh, things um, today is the 30th it is the second to last day of the year and I got up this morning and opened my one-year Bible and I read December 30th means I've only got one more day. I've read through the Bible again. Uh, that Bible came out in 1978. And I became a Christian in 19, uh, October of 1977. And somebody gave me one of these as a Christmas present the very first year it came out. And uh, I've read through it at least once. Every know about you, my year has been busy. What did I do wrong? Okay. All right. Um, and I don't know about you, but I have had a busy year. I trust you have as well. And we've done a lot of things. I know I have. The overwhelming majority of them. I can't remember. I can't tell you what I did. And I'm betting that the overwhelming majority of them, if I hadn't have done them, it wouldn't have mattered. Either they wouldn't have gotten done or somebody else would have done them. I've read through my Bible this year. I've spent time in the presence of God every day this year, save one day tomorrow. And I'll do it again, Lord willing, I'll do it again tomorrow. And complete another year of spending time in God's presence. Starting my day just acknowledging, Lord, I, I need you. Lord, this is your day. I'm your creation. You've got plans for me today. And it's going to go well if you make it go well. And if you're in charge, I'm trusting it will. If I'm in charge, I can most assuredly guarantee you it won't go well. So I look to you to help me this day. Um, that matters. That matters. Most of what I did this year, spending time with God matters. And so I would just encourage you. I know many of you uh, get tired of me reminding you of that. But I just don't know of anything that I could tell you that's more important. And that will change your life more profoundly and eternally than spending time each day in the presence of God. Um, 
one of the benefits of reading through the whole Bible every year is that you wind up reading books that you would have never read. I mean, who cherry picks, which is what most of us do, we, you know, we, we, and if you cherry pick, like most Christians, you read a lot of Genesis. You read a lot of Joshua. You read a lot of First and Second Samuel. You read a lot of the Psalms. You read, um, and really you jump on over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you, really, you might read a lot of Proverbs. I don't know if I said that or not. You read some Proverbs, and then you jump over to the Gospels. But you skip such a, a vast, marvelous reservoir of God's truth and God's wisdom and God's comfort and God's warning if that's the way you do it. And so, uh, I try not to do it that way, and I use that guide. And there's... N- Thousands of guides that you can use. That's the one I use and I, I love it. Um, but you wind up reading little books uh, that you wouldn't have read had you not read through your Bible every, every day and every year. Um, I was reading a couple of little books the last week or so, I guess, week and a half ago. And uh, I, I sent it out to most of you. You got my weekly email. I told you to please read um, Jonah, and then the book of Nahum. And if you did, I'm hoping that it uh, startled you. Hey, these two little books were written to the same group of people. Both of these little books were written to a country, a nation, if you will, called the Assyrians. And just to give you a little background real quickly, uh, the Assyrians and their capital was Nineveh. So actually the two books were written to the people of Nineveh, but that's the capital of this country called Assyria. Uh, at that time when it was written, these, this, Assyria was a big country, a big, powerful nation due north of Israel. And they were uh, a pretty vicious group of people. Uh, they, were, they were vicious. And they, uh, for 300 years, they dominated at least the, the, the part of the world that the Bible focuses on. Uh, uh, pretty, pretty single-handedly for 300 years, uh, the Assyrians dominated the world. And they were arch enemies of Israel. And for 300 years, on a periodic basis, the Assyrians would come down and they were a continual source of threat, a continual source of fear, a continual source of uh, oppression and uh, enslavement, and a continual source of innumerable atrocities against the people of God. If you're wondering where Assyria uh, was, it's today, it's present day Iraq and part of Turkey. That's where Assyria's uh, central uh, country was located. And like I said, for 300 years, they dominated the world. And for 300 years, they gave Israel, the people of God, uh, a really, really hard time. And um, there were two moments in the, the dealings of God, maybe many more, but we have record 
of two different moments in the, the workings and the plannings and the activity of God in the world where he shines his flashlight. He, he turns his focus to these powerful, vicious, oppressive, terrorizing people uh, that just very truthfully, the Israelites, for good reason, hated their guts. It would be like the people of, I've told you about us living in Belgium for four years, and the, the people of Belgium, uh, how they felt about uh, the Germans. Um, if you to this very day, you, you talk to any of the Belgians, uh, at some point they're going to tell you how they feel about the Germans, at least the Germans during World War II. And uh, they hate them. And they wish them ill. And anything they could do to contribute to that ill will, they would joyfully do it. Well, the Israelites felt the same way about the Assyrians. And uh, in spite of that, God gives a word to two different of his prophets. One to Jonah and one to Nahum, who lived about a hundred years apart. Uh, for the Assyrian people. And m- most of y'all know we've studied the book of Jonah. And uh, you, you know that story how God revealed himself to this little prophet named Jonah. And told him, I want you to go to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, to Nineveh. Uh, to Nineveh and I want you to tell them that I am about to destroy their civilization, their nation. Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, not so much because he was afraid of what they would do to him. He didn't want to hinder it. He was terrified that by announcing God's plans to destroy Assyria, somehow something would happen where God didn't do it. And he did not want that to happen. You know the story. He runs away, falls in the sea, or gets thrown in the sea, swallowed by a large sea creature, uh, spends three days in the belly of this sea creature, and then he spit it on the ground. And then the Bible says that Jonah said, Okay, Lord, I see this isn't going to, I can't run away from you. Wherever you are, wherever I go, you are. And so uh, I'm going to go and do this. So the Bible says that Jonah, in fact, let me just read it to you real quickly. It says, uh, uh, God told Jonah, says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because, of its, because its wickedness has come up before me. And then. Uh, a little while later, after the fish, or after the sea creature, it says Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And on the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the Ninevites believed God's word and they declared a fast and all servants pushed to the least... From the king all the way down to the servants put on sackcloth representing repentance. And then I'm going to skip on down and it says when God saw how they responded to his word, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Um, We don't know how that went. We don't know what that looked like. But we know that for a period of time after God spoke to the Ninevites through the prophet Jonah, the Ninevite people heard it, 
They understood it was from God. They didn't think this was Jonah's words. They knew it was God's word to them. They believed what they heard and they responded in faith and repentance and obedience. And the result was that they were the beneficiaries for, a, for 200 years. For 200 more years. They were going to be destroyed. God's plan was to destroy them in 40 days. But instead, because they heard God, they believed God, they recognized that that was God, and they responded accordingly in faith and repentance and obedience. For 200 years, their civilization continued and flourished. That that startles me. That, That says something to me. That means something to me. Here's the tragedy. If you read the book of Nahum, two little books later, there's a period of a hundred years between when Jonah lived and Nahum lived. When Jonah preached to the Ninevites and when Nahum wrote his, his message to the Ninevites. Okay? But when you read the book of Jonah, what you see is that God poured out His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, and His blessings on the people of Nineveh and Assyria. When you get to the book of Nahum, it's very different. Now, God says, I'm going to do to you now What Jonah told you was going to happen a hundred years earlier. But here's the difference. The Ninevites didn't believe. They did not hear God. They did not believe it was God. They did not receive it as God's word to them. They did not embrace it and uh, mix it with faith and repentance and obedience. Somehow during the hundred years between Jonah And Nahum, over a period of time, the people of this civilization gradually, slowly, incrementally, they began to forget what God had said to them. They began to reject what God had said to them. They began to let new Words, new messages, new priorities, new values, new behaviors, new relationships began to crowd out and destroy the words that they had heard from God and knew were from God and the relationship that they had experienced and embraced with God. That's gone. Over a hundred years, that is gone. Boy, when I read that this year, a week ago, a week and a half ago, it really made me stop and wonder, um, what has God said to me? In the past. 
those moments when God revealed Himself to me, when God spoke to me, I, I don't get into all the, was it an audible voice? Was it a light? Did you hear some angel music? I don't know about all that. And I'm not playing it that down if that's your experience. I'm just saying that there are times when God has spoken to me and I knew it was God. I knew it was God. And Larry, what are you still doing with that light? What are you still doing with that revelation? Are you continuing like uh, Simeon and Anna who God spoke to a, a lifetime earlier before you die, you're going to see the Messiah. So start looking and don't stop looking. And a lifetime later, they're still, they're, they're still operating in that, that, that revelation, that truth, that light that God gave them when they were young. They heard it. They recognized it was God. They believed it. They embraced it. And it directed the rest of their life. And now they're old, bad old, extra old. They're still operating in that truth. And lo and behold, one day they're standing there and the Messiah comes right before their eyes. What am I doing with light and truth that, oh, it was true. And for a while, it changed my life. It made a difference. It affected the, the direction that I went and how I related to people and how I used my time and how I lived my life. But how easy over time. I let other things crowd. I, I let other things steal. I let other things take over. And um, I just want to—I want to I give you, real quickly. I want to give you just a couple of thoughts that God's given me, uh, just as I start this new year. And I—I I, I want Him to speak to you as well as you start this new year. Number one, so I read these two little books and pondered them. First thing that I felt like God was saying to me was, Larry, I did choose a person. I chose a family, and I chose a nation, and I made them very special in my heart and in my plans for mankind. I made them special because they were the, the people group through which I was going to reveal testament to them and my message to the world. I was going to give the Old Testament to them and the overwhelming majority of the New Testament uh, to, to the world through this people group. And through this people group, I would usher in the ministry of the Messiah. I would give the world the answer to their problems and pain and darkness and death. I would give them the answer, the Messiah, through this family. But Larry... Here's two books out of 66, and I could give you uh, several dozen more. Here's two out of 66 right out of the gate. I wrote these two books for another people group. 
think it's very important when you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel um, that we see that God is speaking to the nations of the world. He loves Israel. Doubt that not. But he loves the peoples of the world. Uh, he, 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 has, he has plans for the peoples of the world. The story of the Old Testament and the story of the prophets is that God is involved in the nations and the peoples and the cultures of the world. Joseph going to Egypt. He didn't just do that for the family of Jacob. He did it for the people of Egypt. Rahab and Ruth and David's mighty men, the overwhelming majority of whom were not Jews. The queen of Sheba, Naaman and Syria, Daniel in his ministry to Nebuchadnezzar uh, and Babylon and Persia, Esther in her ministry to the Persians. God was continually declaring, I love all peoples. They're important. They matter. They have worth. We live in a climate today. And I don't care what your political flavor is. Uh, whatever it is, you better be a person of prayer. What you better be is a person of prayer. But I'm telling you, we live in a climate today of we versus they. We versus they. And the testimony and the message and the declaration of God's word and God's workings is that there is no they. Who's the they in your life? God wants you to know and God wants you to embrace the truth that it's all we. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. We all are in desperate need of his mercy and forgiveness. We are all called to be the beneficiaries as rainy songs today declared of his love and his grace and his mercy and we need to be careful about this we versus they that's not the message of God's word Malachi chapter 1 the last book of the Bible which I hope you read part of that today I just saw it this morning he says God says how I wish you Jews would close your temple doors and stop your sacrifices. I'm not pleased with what you say, says the Lord. And I won't accept your offerings and sacrifices anymore because they were doing it with impure hearts and impure motives. That's what he's talking about there. But listen to what he then says. But my name is honored by the people of other nations all around the world. For my name is great among the nations. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And then in the last book of the Bible that we're reading right now, we're about to finish in Revelation. John says, And I saw before me a great innumerable multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before God's throne and God's Lamb. How can you read the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum and not walk away being reminded God loves people that I politically, nationally, economically, from a racial perspective, I might see them as enemies. 
God says, I don't see them as enemies. I see them as people that I love as much as I love you. And I'm as committed to them as I am to you. And I want you to join me in ministering to them and seeing them the way I see them. Number two. You've heard me say this a thousand times. I hear people saying, oh, I've got this big decision. Oh, I'm praying. I just want God to speak to me. And I tell them, I've said it a thousand times. The question is not, is God speaking? That's not my problem. And it's not your problem. Our problem is not, is God speaking to us? Our problem is, we don't like what God is saying. God is speaking to us. Just open up your Bible and God will speak to you. God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us about how we ought to treat our mates and our children and our parents and our friends and our co-workers. He's speaking to us about how He wants us to treat our enemies and how He wants us to deal with our wounds and how He wants us to deal with our offenses. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. He's shining light into our lives. My problem, and I would suggest yours, we just don't like the words that God is speaking. But the testimony of Scripture, it's not hard to grasp. We might not like it, but it's not hard to figure out. The testimony of Scripture is this. When God speaks, and He is, what I do next once I've heard God, it will determine whether I experience life or whether I experience death. Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, or God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 30, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity by telling you today, to love the Lord your God and walk in His ways and keep His statutes so that you may live and flourish and experience God's blessings. But if you turn your hearts away and you won't listen and obey and if you worship and serve other gods, I promise you, you will perish. I set before you today life and death Blessings and curses. Choose life so that you may live. You and your children. By loving and obeying and clinging to Him. For this is your life. And this is your future. When God speaks. What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? It will determine whether we experience life. Hear me. Thirdly, hear me. The testimony of the scripture is that God wants the haves. Those that have been given great blessings and abundance. To share those abund- that abundance and those blessings with the have-nots. The testimony of Scripture is that God wants the haves to feel the weight and the respect. Amen. Thank you for saying amen. God, God wants us to feel the weight and the responsibility of sharing 
from the abundance that God has given us with those that have not been given such abundance. Paul says in Hebrews, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need for this is a sacrifice that pleases God. Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and ensure justice for those who are being crushed and speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they receive justice. Number three, uh, number four. When God speaks to us, we don't need to ignore or forget what He said. I've already dealt with this, so I'll leave it alone. I just, when you know that God has spoken, when I know that God has spoken to me about how I relate to my wife, or my daughter, or my son-in-law, or my mom, or to one of you, or to my boss, which I already mentioned my wife, um, or whoever, well, that when, when God has spoken to me about my finances, when God has spoken to me about my time, when God has spoken to me about my entertainment, when God has spoken to me about how I'm dealing with, my, with other relationships, I don't need to ignore it. I don't need to resist it. I don't need to... Forget it. I need to obey. I'll leave it there. And the last one that I would say to us all is this. It was a hundred years from the time that Nahum spoke to the people of Assyria and said, because of your wickedness, because of the way you treat other peoples, because you have forgotten the light that I gave you through the prophet Jonah, because of all of that, your civilization and culture will come to an end and be destroyed. It was a hundred years, give or take. I'm sure that every year that it was delayed, people were thinking, it'll never happen. See, God doesn't keep His promises. God doesn't keep His word. God doesn't come through and do what He said He was going to do. But He did. God always keeps His word. God always keeps His promises. God always does what He says that He's going to do. Yes, God is patient. Yes, God, by our standards, is slow. But God never forgets. And God never tells a lie. 1 Peter 1 says that all humanity is like grass. And all its glory like the flowers of the field. But they both will wither and die. But the words of God will endure forever. Second Peter chapter 3 says, The Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to repent. Proverbs 30 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all 
who come to him for protection. And Psalm 146 says, God has made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything within them. And he keeps every promise that he has ever made forever. God will keep his promises. Those that declare future goodness and those that declare future the opposite of goodness. God's going to keep them. God's going to He's a man of his word. He's a person of his word. We can stand on his promises. It is our hope and our stay that God will ultimately do for us all that he has promised. So I'll leave you with this question and we're through. What has God said to you that you knew was God? Do you remember times in your life? Maybe at camp? Maybe on a retreat? Every year George goes to a, 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 a I guess it's a men's retreat. It's men, right? Just men. It's a men's retreat down in Louisiana. And uh, for a weekend, he, these men go down there and believe it or not, they spend an entire weekend and they never say a word. It's a weekend retreat of silence. Wonder what God has said to George on those weekends. Wonder what God said to you when you were in a waiting room and your loved one was near death. What has God said to you when you were the one laying on the bed or in the middle bed? What has God said to you when you received a letter in the mail and shook you to your core? Or some other experience happened in your life. But God spoke. You knew it was God. And at that time, you embraced it. You embraced it. Maybe it... I have to believe there are people in this room who have sat here today and you've, if you've come at all, you've heard me numerous times talk about reading the Bible through, reading the Bible every day, spending time with God every day. I have to believe, I do believe there are people that walk out of here and go, I know God wants me to do that. I know God wants me to do that. Maybe it has to do with your finances, your generosity, your charity, helping people in need, giving to the kingdom of God. Maybe it has to do with your personal holiness, your behavior, and the way you use your time and your entertainment. Maybe it's the way you relate to your family. I don't know. what God didn't speak to me about your life. But my question is, when God has spoken to you and you knew it was God, what are you doing with that light, that truth, that message of grace now? My appeal, my challenge, my request is that we stop and we evaluate and we try to remember, God, what are the things that you've told me that are important and maybe I've let them slide. Maybe I've ignored them or I forgot them. Just let them get crowded out. Maybe you should re-engage and re-embrace 
and return. And let God have His way in your life. That, that is what I want for my life. And I want it for yours as well. You think about that. Um, well, Natalie and Brian, I would ask y'all to come up and help me, but uh, you, you have a, a, an excuse uh, for that. So uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Cleo, would you like to come up and help me, please? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. One of the very first things that Nahum the prophet says in chapter 1 of his little book, The Lord is good and He is a refuge in times of trouble and He cares for all who put their trust in Him. The Lord is good and He is a refuge in times of trouble. We take bread and juice and wine. The juice is yellow and the wine's purple. And we eat and drink every week. And what we're really doing is declaring the truthfulness of what Nahum said. The Lord is good. And He is our refuge in times of trouble. We eat and we drink and we remember the body and the blood of our Savior and His coming to this earth and His coming into my life to be a refuge and to be a, a declaration of God's goodness to me and to you. So I invite you, if that is your testimony, that God is good and He has become a refuge for you, in times of trouble. The ultimate time of trouble being death. And that he will be your source of refuge then. Because he died for your sins and my sins and rose again. If that's your testimony. I don't care if you're active and faithful in this church. Or this is your first time. If that is your belief and your hope and your declaration. You come and you eat and you drink. And you return to your seat please.